Hi, this is James Devine, and I am an educator who has come out of the trenches. Listen in as my friend and colleague Dana Goodyear shares stories and tips from other educators who have come out of the trenches. Welcome to the Out of the Trenches podcast. This is Dana Goodyear. Thanks for listening. My next guest is Mark Chartier. Everyday Mark mentors students who must overcome serious challenges, but he knows they can persevere because he did. Growing up with Tourette's syndrome, Mark had poor grades and demonstrated significant behaviors, but thanks to positive relationships with his educators, he was able to defy expectations and succeed in school. As an adult, he sustained a brain injury and developed a significant stutter that made life exasperating. Despite these challenges, he went on to earn two master's degrees and made an impact as a special education teacher. He is a walking success story. Despite challenging disabilities, he built a prosperous career in education. Now he wants to see others triumph over their individual obstacles. By sharing his journey through motivational speaking and his poetry, he educates others about diversity, advocates for individuals with disabilities, and motivates people to overcome serious challenges. Mark lives in Pueblo, Colorado. Welcome to the podcast, Mark. Hi, Dana. Thanks for having me on. Well, tell me about a time when you were in the trenches and managed to crawl out and you said you'd like to share one story from childhood and one as a teacher. Yes. Um, so um, I think the first story I would like to share, um, just to kind of get the, the audience acquainted with, with my story a little bit, is I grew up with Tourette syndrome and I wasn't diagnosed until I was 18 years old. Mm-hmm. Um and so I went through all of public school without any supports or any services that um, that I probably should have been provided had my diagnosis been known earlier. Um, however, um, I thanks to positive relationships with teachers, I was still able to overcome and, and succeed and persevere through through quite a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, when people ask me about Tourette's, they one one of the first things they ask me is is when did I first realize or notice that I had Tourette's? Mm-hmm. And and as far as my memory goes, um, the first tick that I had was when I was about seven years old okay. in the summer of 1983. So I'm dating myself a little. <laughs> um, but I was living in Long Island, New York, uh, with my parents and. My mom and dad had just decided to split up. And as a result, uh, my mom had temporary custody of me, even though my dad had uh, permanent and sole custody of me legally. Mm-hmm. Um, there was there was a lot of um, controversy and, and arguing and fighting between my mother and father at the time. And so I was with my mother for gosh, probably several weeks, maybe a month. Um, And my mother suffered from schizophrenia. Mm -hmm. Uh, She had a a very tragic uh, young life as well, Uh, probably much more tragic than mine, even though mine is is not a walk in, even though mine was not a walk in the park. uh, Hers was very traumatic, I'm sure for her. Um, So she was, she was, in the midst of what I call a, a schizophrenic binge. Okay. So because she, because my father was her whole life and his mm-hmm. family, 
she didn't have a family of her own mm-hmm. outside of my dad and, and 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 me and my brother and 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 my dad's family. And so my brother was at camp, and I remember uh, every day for gosh, probably about a week, uh, my mom would have me hop in the back seat of the car, and she would just take uh, me and drive all around New York. New York City, New York upstate, sometimes even to Montreal where my grandparents lived. Mm-hmm. And um, and we would go into restaurants and we would order drinks and food. And then two minutes later, she'd be grabbing me by the arm and saying, we got to go. We, we're, we're, we're out of here. And, mm-hmm. and I would be, and I, of course, I was seven years old at the time. And I'm like, like, why are we leaving? She's like, your father is watching us. And and it was very it's very apparent to me in hindsight that the schizophrenia was really um, pervading her her perspective at that time. Mm-hmm. And so um, we even she even took me to the hospital several times and said we we're not well that we we're sick. And again, I'm seven years old and I'm questioning. I'm like, what's wrong with us? And again, we would go to the emergency room and. And then within 20 minutes of being seen, she'd be taking me and running out the door with me. Mm-hmm. And so that was a very traumatic uh, time. And as a result of that, um, I, I remember having my first tick. I had the spiral notebook. Okay. I took the, the, the spirals of the notebook and I scrummed it, strummed it along my, the lips of my mouth. Okay. And I did that so hard and so fast until my lips blistered and bled. Mm-hmm. And that to me is the first Tourette symptom that I remember having. And, mm. and, and and the way I explain it is, is there was so much mass chaos going on around me that as a child, I couldn't make sense of it. I couldn't process it. Mm-hmm. And so that was my way of processing it. And, and, and that is as far back as I can remember my first tick that I had. And so you have a trench story as well from um, being a teacher. Uh, Was that related to uh, having Tourette's, or how did you come out of the trenches in a teacher situation? Well, um, I actually have a poem in my book that I I wanted to share about it, but I will preface it a little bit. Okay. Um, So after. After that episode with my mother, my father uh, regained custody of me and my brother. And so I grew up with my dad uh, from age seven on. And Mm -hmm. while my dad, uh, I I truly believe in in my heart that he did the best he could. Uh, He was abusive at times, uh, quite often physically Mm -hmm. and quite often verbally. Um, And so... I remember when I was about 15 years old, um, I, I, I was I, he had dropped me off at, at the grocery store that I was working at, and I had just spent about $30 on comic books, which back then in 1991, 1990 yeah. was a lot. And so um, he had told me that I needed to be home in 15 minutes. Well, the walk home alone was probably 15 minutes, right? Mm-hmm. So obviously... You know, I was going to be late and I was typically late. So I went home. I was late and he 
kicked the tar out of me and, and destroyed my comic books and all this and that. Mm-hmm. And and then the next day I went to school and I had bruises along my, my neck and my cheeks and stuff. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and a, a friend of mine, an older uh, friend of mine who was a senior in high school um, asked me who effed you up. Yeah. Um, and of course, like at that time, I didn't know what to say because my mother was out of the picture. My mother was out of my life. Yeah. And even though my, my father might not have been the best dad in the world, I knew that he loved me and that he was the best dad he could be. So as a result, one of my brother's friends found out about it and made a DHS call. Mm. And, and shortly after, I was questioned uh, by DHS at my high school. Um, and, and I lied. I lied. Yeah. I froze in the moment. Uh, I, I knew what foster homes, what, what the reputation that foster homes had. And I lied. And they, they even followed up uh, with a house visit to my house. Um, and my dad never opened the door. And shortly after that, we moved to Colorado. Okay. And so I've never talked about it with my dad. But years later, my first year of teaching, I had uh, a similar experience with a student. Mm-hmm. And I will say no more and just read the poem if that's okay. Okay, go ahead. Okay. Great, great. So this is uh, a poem from my book, Fingerprints. And it, the title of the poem is called Bystander. Okay. You stagger into my classroom, papers falling from your books, and I know you haven't taken your medicine. You look like your mom, the sweatpants, the rush chair, the knock-knock, broken aspirin, bags under your eyes. You look like her, except you're tiny. Fourth grade doesn't play by the rules when your bio dad left the game early. It doesn't explain life in future tense verbs or number facts or pinky swears. It doesn't open a hand and ask, why? Even psychiatric drugs you take for ADHD, depression, and anxiety don't explain why your mother leaves you in charge of your own medication. In the morning, you say a crisp good- goodbye that's returned with muffling from under her covers through the door with the hole you made with a broomstick. Her costing breasts are the answers when you're done making your own lunch of two pieces of bread and a can of Coke. Mom, the door doesn't talk back when you want to say bye-bye, take a spray of her vanilla perfume, check that you know the wrong answers to the questions that keep you blue-eyed and make sure that you don't mention the unmentionable. Your stepfather came home from Iraq two weeks ago and you've come to my classroom with a new bruise every other day this week. Black ran blue on your shin, red time two on your arms, saying you got them during testing, saying you were tough, tiny, tough. You told me I could adopt kids, but not you, but maybe your daddy and I could be friends. And I didn't want to believe the faces on your bruises, the scratch marks around your elbows. I wanted to think, You were just as clumsy as you said that a second grader did do it during morning recess or that it was Halloween and you were dressed up as a girl who'd been abused 
as I picked up the receiver and made a phone call that was tougher than you. Wow. Yeah, that's, that's super powerful. Just, I mean, a lot of us educators, you know, experience, um, you know, having to make those DHS calls and having a student like that in our class, but, you know, putting it to words and you recognizing, you know, that that was a similar situation to what you had been through. Yeah. Yes. And, and so like, as a kid, I was on one side of the DHS call. Mm -hmm. And then as an adult, that that especially with that being my first year in teaching. Okay. Um, and this was a kid that I had a, a very strong connection with. As she was she was like me in so many ways. Um, so being on that other side of that DHS call was was really tough for me. It was something I really, really grappled with. Mm -hmm. uh, but in the end, I decided that that all I can do is report it and, and pray that everything works out best for the child. Mm -hmm. um, and, and since then I've had to make calls and, and I, it's never easy, uh, but it's something that I've, I've come to terms with. And it's just part of the territory of looking out for kids and doing what's best for kids. Yeah. Yeah. But definitely the first is, is always the hardest and, um, you know, especially when you've been on the, you know, child side as well. Um, let's talk about uh, just kind of what got you into uh, being a special education teacher and how, um, you know, your experience as a student led to you wanting to go into the field. Okay, great, great. Um, so I, I really struggled um, as a student in public school. Um, I... On my website, I say I was a teacher's worst nightmare, uh -huh. and, and I really was in so many facets and, and ways. Um, I, I did some, I got into many fist fights. Uh, I, I, I committed vandalism in high school. Um, I had poor grades. I was very uh, talkative, very interruptive. Uh, I, I was just really a handful. Mm -hmm. And part of that was the Tourette's and then part of that was, was my home environment. Right. Mm -hmm. So when I was 15, uh, I moved to, from Long Island, New York to Colorado Springs. And even though between age seven and 15, I had nervous tics that kind of waxed and waned, mm -hmm. uh, sometimes they would come and then for a couple months they'd go, um, I know some of my tics involve barking and some of my friends I, and my brother usually actually used to call me Mark Bark Ark mm -hmm. uh, as kind of teasing. And so though my tics when I lived in New York kind of came and went. Mm -hmm. But when I moved to Colorado Springs, they just really blew up. Okay. And, and at the time, I attributed this to moving uh, away from all my friends in New York because I never wanted to leave New York and all my friends in New York. Mm -hmm. um, however, in hindsight, you know, uh, 15 years old, kids' bodies changes, uh, things changed about mentally, new atmosphere. Um, I was in a new high school. Who knows what it was? Yeah. But I know that... Uh, very early on, um, 
at at the high school that I I went to in Colorado Springs, I got into a, a fight with a kid mm-hmm. uh, who was who was kind of picking on me because here I am, I speak different, I act different, I look different, um, and I was in this fight, and the athletic director came and grabbed me by the side of my my face. Mm-hmm. Now now that means something totally different back then because I had hair. Yeah, <laughs> so, so, so it was it was quite painful. So as soon as the athletic director grabbed me, I let go of the kid, mm-hmm. and um, and he started to pull me by the side of my face and my hair, and I actually shrugged him off and said some colorful words to him that were not very nice or kind, and uh, and he he went back and he grabbed me right here, and again I shrugged him off. Mm-hmm. And he cocked back his arm like he was going to hit me. And then I went into the office crying in tears. And uh, the assistant principal came and said that he had several witnesses saying that I took a swing at a teacher. Now, of course, at the time, that wasn't my percep- perception. That wasn't my mm-hmm. lens that I saw. However, as of course, in hindsight, I can definitely see how the the flinging of my arm could be perceived as a swing. So at that time, I was, um, I, I was the 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 assistant principal attempted to expel me, mm-hmm. and my dad, for for all his good points, uh, he fought for me and 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 stood up for me and got got the expulsion hearing dropped. Okay. Um, and after that, I was still very angry. I was still very upset. I was very angry at the school. And me and this this guy that I piled around with, we ended up uh, doing about $1,000 worth of vandalism over the next four months. Wow. And we sprayed down the gymnasium with a fire extinguisher. We broke into the pool and took the, 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 the gym teacher's con- office contents and her her sneakers and threw them all in the pool. We stole concessions. We did all kinds of things. We, we destroyed offices. And then we, we got caught about four months into this stuff. And of course they separated us, played good cop, bad cop, and got us to confess mm-hmm. to everything that we had done. So as a result, um, I, I believe that the principal, the same assistant principal that had previously tried to expel me, I believe that he suspected that I had a disability by that mm-hmm, point. Mm-hmm. And so he did not try to expel me, although he probably should have and had good reason mm-hmm. to. So what he did was he ended up giving me, he, he ended up assigning me to detention for all my free time for the rest of the school year. Mm. And in that detention center, where I spent several hours a day, there was a lady named Mrs. Uh, Susie Tracy. Okay. uh, Who I formed a a beautiful connection with. Here I was, a kid that was angry, that grew up without a mom. And here was this lady who was, you know, probably in her 50s, mid-50s or so. And she just demonstrated a lot of kindness, a lot of interest in my success, mm-hmm. and inspired me through our relationship to turn my behavior around. Mm. And so next year, even though I didn't have to go to detention, guess where I ended up going anyways? You went there to hang out I with went her. to detention, 
to hang out with Mrs. Tracy. And so it really went a long way in far, as far as turning my behavior around. And I had other teachers along the way that really um, uh, developed uh, inspiring relationships with me. So fast forward to um, college, my, 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 six year in college because it took me six years to get my bachelor's mm -hmm. but um i had i had i sustained a toxic brain injury which i have a poem that i'd like to share um a little later if that's okay mm -hmm. um but i had sustained a toxic brain injury which um had increased the severity of my tourette's and mm -hmm. i also caused it also caused me to develop a significant stutter and, but yet I was able to make it through my bachelor's degree. Mm -hmm. And I thought, I thought, what next? Like, mm -hmm. I wasn't ready to go back to go out into the big bad world because my stuttering was still very significant. And so I thought, what can I do to make a difference in the world? And I thought about all the people that made a, a profound impact on my life. And they were educators from Mrs. Tracy to my fifth grade teacher, Mr. Belser, to my French teacher, Mrs. Weed, mm -hmm. to my college creative writing professor, David Keplinger. Um, all these people had inspired me in so many different ways that I, I decided I wanted to go into special education and help mm -hmm. kids that had similar struggles as me. Mm -hmm. So that was, that was what led me to grad school and I'm not saying it was easy and there were no mm -hmm. challenges. There certainly were throughout my bachelor's degree and my master's degrees, both of them. Um, but but I was able to get in. I was able to earn my master's in special ed. And shortly after um, I began teaching, I, I realized that I fell madly in love with the profession. And, mm -hmm. and I realized that I, that I was in a unique position where... Um, cause, cause my kids are intelligent. My kids, mm -hmm. uh, like whether they're on an IEP or not, my kids are intelligent. They're in their own ways, right? Like they can, they can pick up and ascertain that, Hey, Mr. C, which is what I go by in uh -huh. school, Mr. C was a little bit different. There was something different about him. Yeah. And so I was able to, to identify and connect with my students in a unique way. And so it, rather than than being ruled by my disabilities. Mm -hmm. I rule my disabilities and I use them as a conduit and as a bridge to, to my students. Wow, wow. Yeah, I really like that. Rather than being ruled, you rule disability. Um, so how has that, that helped you um, be a great special ed teacher? And what do you think is the most rewarding part of being um, working with the kids uh, that you work with? Well, the most rewarding part of working with kids is um, the relationships that we yeah. build uh, and, and getting to know them and inspiring them and coaching because yes, I teach them reading, I teach them writing, I teach them math, I teach behavior, but overall my, my end, end all goal and objective is to teach them how to be um, good members of society and, and, and productive individuals and people with good character and people who embrace diversity. Uh, just just as, as, I, as I teach them every day, I'm like, hey, we're all different, right? 
Some of us have brown hair. Some of us have blonde hair. Some mm -hmm. of us have no hair. And that's okay because um, I find that we learn that I've, in my life, I, I've learned the most from people that are different than me. Mm -hmm. And so I always preach diversity to my students. And I have just been so blessed and fortunate to have had the, the most amazingly talented and gifted students. Um, and and um, I'll, I'll, share, I'll share one story with you. And mm -hmm. this just comes to mind. Um, I was working with this student one time uh, his name was Moses, and I have nicknames for all my all my students. And I, I my nickname for him was Mostus. And okay. I was giving him an assessment, a special education assessment, and I needed his 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 uh, birthday for mm -hmm. the assessment. Mm -hmm. so I said to him, I said, "Hey, Mostus, what's your birthday?" He goes, "April twenty second. I uh -huh. said, "What year?" He said, "Every year." <laughs> And so I just love how my kids think outside the box, right? Yeah. Like, like my kids, um, I like to call different kinds of smart. Yeah. Um, there are different kinds of intelligence. Uh, for example, uh, another special person in my life is is one of my best friends who has Down syndrome, mm -hmm. and uh, his name is Stony Pole, mm -hmm. and and he might not be able to, you know read uh, a 400 page novel mm -hmm. but one of the things that Sony is really good at is he knows every WWE wrestler known to man <laughs> yeah <laughs> he can match every NFL team to their city yeah and he always remembers my birthday uh -huh. even now my birthday is in November 29th He's been planning my birthday for four months already. Yeah. He's been planning my birthday celebration. So so there's different kinds of uh, smart and, and just seeing my kids think outside the box. And I do want to add one more thing. Um, in addition to teaching special education, I also do poetry workshops at my mm -hmm. schools. And, and these poetry workshops are enrichment activities that I offer after school. Okay. And, and, and they're open to any kid, whether they're gen ed or, or special ed or any kid. And over the years, as I've done this, I've had the good fortune of having, or the luck of having some of my students participate in these poetry workshops. Mm -hmm. And, and, and they are, they always end up culminating in a poetry reading mm -hmm. and to see the students that have reading disabilities sit there and create a poem um, and then get in front of an audience of sometimes 50, 60 people mm -hmm. and read their, their work that they created. I always say that teaching is a love of my life, mm -hmm. but poetry was the first love of my life. Mm -hmm. And so when I'm able to mesh the two, that to me is just heavenly. And so just seeing my some of my special education students over the years um, express themselves and develop a love and affinity for poetry and then seeing them persevere and triumph by by reading their work in front of a large audience just just amazes me and, mm -hmm. and leaves me in awe. So well, uh, you can go ahead and share that poem that you wanted to share. Um, you said, 
that it's helped you a lot, especially after you dealt uh, with a traumatic brain injury. Um, you started writing a lot of poetry. Yes, yes. Um, so originally I was diagnosed with a traumatic brain injury and a toxic brain injury. Okay. And this one goes back to, um, it starts out kind of where I was at when I okay. was struggling a couple of years ago. Okay. And, and then it, 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 it delves back into um, the event of the toxic brain injury. Okay. It's called the fifth wall. I was sitting in your patient room asking about what we can do to help the Tourette's, the OCD, the anxiety, my toxic brain injury, my sleep that tallies me to a sleep walk and makes me feel for the walls of my bedroom and recently for my 38 snub nose in the drawer of missing its drawer. I'm staring at your socks, asterisking your ankles, then your shoes that seem a bit Walmart-ish for a neurologist as busy as you. Next, I'm making irrespective faces with your patient table to my left, wondering why you never have me sit on it. Why do these medications never work? Because my body can't tolerate the side effects or I'm nerved and atrophic to smiles and air and have, have trouble getting along with trouble. You had that experience with the oven cleaner a while back. The next question is, how do I remember that? I remember an angry while that hurt from many tears ago when I was flooded by fumes of easy off, sticking my head inside the oven after the restaurant manager snapped, we don't have any masks. The vapor upsetting my face as I made the mistake of breathing, scrubbing up to my elbows. The ventilation system is broken. I jokered around, laughing my lungs, my mood pervious to a siren high. I remember driving home that night, my eyes doping to sleep in the parking lot of my college dorm with my car still running. I came to about four hours later, my mind fogged as I clutched inside and slept for 14 more hours, exclamatory in bed as if a tourniquet was circling my neck while the toxic brain injury rasped. My speech blistered and senses oofed when I woke. That's when I drove to your office, an hour of psyching through traffic with the tempest of undoable ramparting my mind, ticking my neck so violently it popped. And that was when your receptionist told me I was 17 minutes late that I would have to reschedule. Her next, his next available is four months out. But I had this accident at work. I don't feel right, rattling like a machine gun. You're 17 minutes late. You'll have to reschedule. 17, the age when I found out I had Tourette's, when I stopped noticing normal and toughened myself like never, sitting in your waiting room, the tears non-negotiating my throat as I tried to talk some strength into myself, praying you get word of my accident and call me back to sit on your patient table. Now, with revision of the heart, I'm in your office again, and you're explaining to me how, how I've overcome my Tourette's and OCD with my intelligence and creativity. 
that you worry about dousing that part of me with too much medication, alluding to somatization, my seek to suffer. Your Tourette's has made you the teacher you are. And I think back to that fifth grade boy, Brandon, who I taught to read in my special education classroom, who also had Tourette's. When we were five fingers deep in a text and he chippered up to me, Mr. C, is heaven for real? I don't know, Brandon, I haven't been there yet, but I'd like to believe it is. Well, when you get there, could you maybe come back down and tap me on the shoulder and let me know? Yes, yes, I can. Wow, that comes full circle. This podcast is a proud member of the Teach Better Podcast Network. Better today, better tomorrow, and the podcast to get you there. Explore more podcasts at www.teachbetterpodcastnetwork.com. Now let's get back to the episode. ...in that from your experience and then to the classroom with a boy living through the experience similar as yours. Wow. <laughs> I really like it's such a treat to have... Uh, these poems on the podcast. Um, Thank you. Uh, so what is the message that you give uh, when you have these motivational speeches um, during your professional speaking? What, what, what is the general message? So my message is the power of positive relationships mm-hmm. and, and, and never giving up and also always persevering uh, because mm-hmm. um because a relationship is so powerful. I was talking to someone just yesterday at my school about it. Mm -hmm. If I go to the mall and I see two kids messing around that I don't know, and I discipline them or correct them or call them out, it means nothing to them because I don't have a relationship with them. Mm -hmm. But with my students that I have a relationship with, um, if I correct them or have to... um, discipline them or or take some kind of corrective action it means something to them mm-hmm. and, and 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 that relationship is so important i needed those relationships as a kid with disabilities and my kids today need those relationships um those same need those same relationships and and my kids might not be the highest achievers on state assessments but i can guarantee that my students work uh, to their, their their optimal performance and work as hard as possible because of that relationship I have with them. So when I give speeches at conferences and school districts and universities, uh, my my overarching message is 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 how a relationship, whether it's positive, how a positive relationship can um, help inspire students to overcome disabilities mm-hmm. and abuse and mental illness or any other kind of challenge in their life. And also how I also talk about how challenging relationships like the relationship with my mother um, mm-hmm. and, and even my father, how, how those relationships were, were difficult to overcome. But thanks to the positive, I was able to overcome the negative ones in my life. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so when I speak, I share anecdotes from, from my childhood, from teaching. I share poems that, you know, as you can see, um, involve the shared successes of not only my students, but also me. And, 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 a, and a lot of those things are, are very similar because 
um, as we've discussed, a lot of the things that my students have gone through are things that I've gone through as well. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and not all, always as a kid. Sometimes there are things that my kids have gone through as kids that I've I, I've dealt recently with as an adult with a disability. Yeah. So um, the two are are very go hand in hand. And 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 I think I th- I think that relationships are so important and such a lost art in education that that there are many great educators that do take the time to build relationships. But but also I know that with the challenges of COVID-19 and um, low resources and high student numbers, it's not always possible for for teachers and and not just teachers, but educators in general to to have that time and that rapport and that that, the ability to form those meaningful relationships. my speech is 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 predicated on the importance of of the must of mm-hmm. building those relationships rather than uh, the maybe of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's that's the point. The must, like we can't just <clears throat> let it go, right? Um, so I'm interested in knowing a little bit how your work as a special education teacher intertwines with your work as a writer, um, and <clears throat> when you started publishing books because you have. You have a book, uh, Fingerprints, that's out, and you're working on your second book called Crosshairs. Yes. So how did the publishing get started, and how do you find the time for all of it? Yeah, well, um, well, for one, I'm a single guy. Mm-hmm. I, I've never been married, and I have no kids, so so my students are my babies. Uh-huh. Um, so so I, I do want to insert that in there. Um, but also, like, I started writing... Um, I started writing seriously as an undergrad in, mm-hmm. uh, in college. I was an English major, and I used to write these cheesy rhyme scheme poems <laughs> that had a, gr- a, a lot of great sentiments to them, but they weren't very respected uh-huh. by peers. And my my creative writing professor, David Keplinger, uh, suggested that I try writing uh, free verse poetry. He said that that the, the the rhyme schemes constrict my my language and, and and my ability to to write a poem because I'm so focused on making that mm-hmm. on on making the rhymes work. And so yeah. I started writing free verse poetry and right around then was when I started stuttering. And so writing became my outlet. Writing became my my catharsis of expressing my emotions, my mm-hmm. desires, my experiences, um, everything that I wanted to accomplish. And I just kept at it. And and over um, over this the next several years, I kept working on it, even though I wasn't uh, still taking English classes. Um, and then when I got a job as a special education teacher, um, my shift kind of focused. So I used to write a lot about relationships, which which there are relationship poems in my book. Um, but then I started writing more about my teaching experiences. And again, that's where the meshing of the two loves of my life okay. come into play because I was able to, to take teaching and poetry and make it into one. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And that's really where I feel I'm at my best, at, um, not just as a teacher, but also as a writer. 
And so it took a long time. I actually sent out um, the manuscript for fingerprints uh, to several publishers over a span of, gosh, probably about five or six years. And I kept retooling it and retooling it after each rejection. And actually the, the people that ended up publishing it, I sent it to them probably about three or four times prior and it got declined every time. And then on uh, New Year's Eve of 2017, I said, okay, I'm going to send it to them one more time. And if they don't publish it, I'm going to self-publish it. Well, four months later, I was delighted to hear that they had accepted it and, uh, and agreed to publish it. And so um, that poem that I, that last poem that I read, The Fifth Wall, that's a poem from my current manuscript called Crosshairs, which I've been sending out as well over the last, uh, probably, probably been sending it out for about six to seven, eight months now. And um, a lot of those poems have been picked up in literary journals individually. So they're available in, in anthologies, literary journals and um, I actually won a poetry contest uh, a few months ago for a poem that's in my in my working manuscript, and um, so yeah, I just you know I, it, it's just a love of my it's it's just a, 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 an extreme passion of mine, and I can I feel like I I continue to grow as a writer, but it's not just something I do because I like it's something I do because. I need to do it. it it's kind of like breathing for me. Like uh, when I'm when I'm struggling with making sense of something in my life, I turn to the paper. I turn to writing. I turn to my notebook. And 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 poetry to me has always been kind of saying the unsayable. And and kind of putting it out there and making sense of what I can't always make sense of orally. So I, I write it and I just think on a different level when I write as, as your viewers can probably tell, I still have remnants of a stutter. It's not as bad as it was 15, 20 years ago, but it's still there a little bit. And so, but, but when I write, I think on a different level. And so um, I just love writing and I love writing about my teaching experiences and also um also my life experiences. And, and that's what this new uh, manuscript is is about, probably even more so than, than fingerprints. So the um, manuscript that you're looking to get published um, these days, um, when it does come out, people can read a lot about the stories of your day-to-day -day life as a teacher, but then the one that you've had published already, fingerprints, is that more kind of your life as a a student growing up and kind of maybe as a college student and overcoming the traumatic brain injury, those types of things? Um, so when I talk about fingerprints, fingerprints spans about 11 years of writing. Okay. And, and there's four sections. And the first section is mostly about my teaching experiences. And then the second section is titled Things That You Wouldn't Tell Your Parents. And that's basically a lot of poems about my mother. There's okay. one about my dad and one about my best friend and his dad who had a very complex relationship. Okay. But almost all the other poems in that section are about my mother. Okay. Um, and then the, the third section is more about relationships, 
but not relationships in the traditional sense, just like like the beauty of a flawed relationship. Okay. Because no relationship is perfect. And and sometimes we find, uh, or hopefully we find beauty in those flawed relationships, regardless of, 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 of the problems or issues that exist in them. Mm-hmm. And then the last section is more about my, um, um, kind of more about my physical ailments, my Tourette's. There's a couple of poems about Tourette's. There is a poem about my experience with a doctor um, where he first told me I had a traumatic brain injury. And and I, actually at that time, I didn't quite believe him because it mm-hmm. sounded kind of sketchy at the time. Um, and then there's a poem, the last poem, I won't I won't say anything about, but it's 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 I've been told it's the best poem in the book. Okay. Uh, I'll, it, I'll let it, people buy the book. <laughs> yes, yes. And and it's a poem about about a very traumatic event in my life, and I'll mm-hmm. I'll say no more. Okay. Uh, yeah. You don't want to give the whole book away. I don't want to give the whole book away. No, no, no. And, okay. And, and crosshairs is is very similar, only um my teaching it's it's it contains my teaching experiences over the last three or four years, which mm-hmm. obviously have included COVID. Yeah. Um, I, 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 I did go from being in a brick and mortar school to teaching remotely. Mm-hmm. And, and that happened in the blink of an eye. And, and that was tough for me. That was tough for me to have that separation from kids that I'd worked with for several years. And then all of a sudden to be behind a computer screen and working with new kids and not having that closure of being able to, you know, really see those kids again and, and say goodbye to them. Yeah. Um, so, so, so that, so, so the current manuscript involves a lot of that. And there are also some social, social justice pieces in there mm-hmm. as well. Um, mm-hmm. there, there's a poem about, uh, about the George Floyd incident mm-hmm. uh, and kind of my response to that and, and 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 just just kind of a just kind of my take on it. Yeah. Okay. So um so yeah. It'll be so. interesting to read when that comes out. But um yeah, I can link maybe some places where that is uh you said published in a few literary journals. Um I can put some links to uh maybe some of those poems in the um show notes. Um well, we could talk about that after a recording. I did want um, you to highlight any professional speaking you have coming up or, um, you know, mm-hmm. maybe places that you're available to speak. I know we're, we're both in Colorado, but do you travel some for speaking and what, what type of venues or conferences are you mo- most interested in speaking at? Yes, yes. So um, I believe that my, um, that my speeches are, are, are appropriate for any, anyone or any organization that is open to hearing an inspiring message about overcoming adversity and um, uh, an increasing acceptance of diversity and also the power of relationship building, mm-hmm. uh, whether it's, it's kids with disabilities or people of different genders or ethnicities or, or anything like that. Um, so I, I spoke uh, recently, I did a keynote in Anchorage, Alaska at the mm-hmm. state, Alaskan Statewide Special Education Conference. And that was a wonderful experience. I spoke for 
an hour and a half and shared uh, several poems uh, from my book and my upcoming book. Um, and 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 that that was a collection of educators. And so um, I have spoken to uh, many, many educators in the past, whether it's at conferences in Colorado Springs or Denver. Um, I did a keynote one time in Denver at the at the Colorado Convention Center mm -hmm. at the Equity and Excellence um, conference for um, the for a collection of uh, state special education administrators and Title One administrators. Um, and I've also spoken at the Courage to Risk, which um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with, but that's at the Broadmoor in Colorado okay. Springs. Um, and I've spoken there several times. And so I'm really open to any kind of um, event. Uh, mm -hmm. I, I believe that I have a, a unique story. Yeah. I, I have a lot of poignant anecdotes, but I also have some witty anecdotes as well. Mm -hmm. um, so there's some tears, there's some laughter, and hopefully overall there's a lot of change. Uh, mm -hmm. in, in perspective and lens and attitude in, uh, in in acceptance of diversity and relationship building. Um, I, I don't currently have any um, uh, events coming up mm -hmm. uh, except a, a, a local poetry reading in Pueblo where I'll be reading a, a collection or, or uh, sorry, I'll be uh, reading uh, poems from my books um, at that event. And uh, yeah, just, you know, just trying to get the word out there. The most important thing for me is to get my message out there to people to help uh, the next generation of teachers, mm -hmm. learners, administrators, school professionals, school executives. And uh, so so that way we can we can spread the message and, 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 and do what's best for kids in the long run. Number one. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. And like you said, that's your story is, um, you know, special and poignant and something that people need to hear. So I definitely hope uh, those listening to this episode will want to reach out um, and you can provide us with your contact information in a minute. But I wanted to ask out of everything we've talked about on the episode, your experiences growing up, your work as a teacher, your poems, what's one thing you'd like listeners to remember? Um. Well, there's two things that, that come to mind right off the top of my head. Mm -hmm. um, one is one is um, is pretty much the mantra to my book, which mm -hmm. is um, there. There's three lines in my book that go: "You scar your way, I'll scar mine. Recovery is a, it, recovery is its own fingerprint." Mm -hmm. And 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 the interpretation that I, I I hope people take away from that, and and the premise for the book is that we all have injuries, we all have sustained injuries and afflictions, whether they're uh, emotional, whether they're physical, whether they're spiritual, and just like every injury and affliction is unique, so is the healing that's necessary in overcoming and and persevering over those injuries. And mm -hmm. so that's one thing that I'd like to share with the listeners is, is that um, that's kind of like what my book is, is, is basically about how every, every recovery is unique. 
And then uh, the next thing that I would like to share is something that I share in my classroom every day. And it is um, always believe that you can make a difference, but never let your differences keep you from what you believe. Mm-hmm. And I teach that to my kids every day. And 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 when I break it down for them, it, I break it down um, in terms of you, uh, in terms of um, embracing their differences and never letting them keep them from reaching their goals or their dreams. And also being accepting, accepting of other people's differences and diversity. Mm-hmm. And so those are things that I really, really stand high on. Um, both things that that really um, mean a lot to me as far as my, uh, so the first one, my philosophy when it comes to poetry. And the second one, when it comes to my philosophy of teaching. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Where can people connect with you and find you online? So I have a website. Um, it's www.teacherwithtourettes.com. And um, that is my website that I use for my speaking business. And uh, I have videos on there of me speaking. I have um, more information about my speaking and my presentations. I have a blog. Um People can subscribe to my page for um, email updates. Um, and, and then there's also my email at the bottom of the website and a link to purchase my book as well. Great. And so, so if anyone wants to, you know, say hello, ask a question, if anyone wants to see about having me speak for them, um, that would be the best place for them to go. Great, great. I'll make sure to include those in the show notes. Well, thank you so much for being on the Out of the Trenches podcast today. It was really a pleasure hearing your story, hearing your poems, and just getting to know you and um, your uh, goal and, you know, how life is as an educator for you and um, how you help your students. Well, thank you so much, Dina. Thank you for having me on. Check out the show notes on danagoodier.com to learn more about this guest and links to their social media. Please subscribe, share, rate, and review wherever you download this podcast. Tell your friends and colleagues about it. And if this episode resonates, especially with you, be sure to share it out on social media and tag me at Out of Trenches PC. Mm-hmm.